Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I will read from verse 19 through verse 28. Hear the word of God. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, you have the words that we need to hear this day. We pray that the words of John's gospel would be opened to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John the baptizer was a big deal. John was such a big deal that even heaven took notice. The angel Gabriel announced his birth and his father was struck dumb. John was such a big deal that he became a huge celebrity. A prophet hadn't been heard in Israel in centuries and people from all over flocked to hear him preach in the desert. People from all over flocked to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. John was such a big deal that he gained powerful enemies. Yeah, that's right. If you're not a big deal, powerful people don't notice you. Donald Trump has never tweeted about me. But John was such a big deal that the wife of King Herod asked for his head on a platter. And she got it. John the baptizer was a big deal. And yet, He said again and again, it's not about me. Seriously, it's not. The Gospels are about Jesus, but after Jesus, John is the guy who gets the most ink in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Large chunks of all four Gospels discuss this man, his birth, his ministry, and his death. Old Testament prophets are quoted talking about John. The circumstances surrounding his birth, including an encounter with an angel, are carefully detailed. When he is born, a new song is written by the priest Zechariah, his father, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, singing the praises of this boy. That prophetic song, recorded for us in Luke chapter 1, declares that John is, quote, a horn of salvation, who will be called a prophet of the Most High, to give knowledge of salvation to his people 
in the forgiveness of their sins. In the Gospels, John's ministry is described in detail. The content of his sermons is recorded. The crowds that gathered to be baptized are mentioned. His battles with the religious leaders are noted. The practice of his disciples are commented on. His relationship with Jesus is explained. And when his end comes, John's arrest and death at the hands of King Herod are laid out in gruesome detail. Next to Jesus, no character in the Gospels, not Peter, not James, the brother of Jesus, not John, the son of Zebedee, no one comes close to garnering so much attention from the Gospel writers as John the Baptizer. He was a big deal. A very big deal. Huge, you might say. And yet he said again and again, it's not about me. Seriously, it's not. John never sought fame. He never sought the limelight. He never wanted the attention. Everything he did was designed to turn people's attention away from himself and toward the promised Messiah. So, Who is this Messiah, this person who is more important than John the Baptizer? For hundreds of years, the people of Israel waited for a Messiah. That word is Hebrew, and it means anointed one. In Greek, the word is Christos, where we get the word Christ. Christ means Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one. In ancient times, an individual destined to be king would be anointed. A priest would pour oil on his head as a sign that this person was God's chosen one. For hundreds of years, the people of Israel waited for a Messiah, someone anointed by God, to be their king. For hundreds of years, the people of Israel lived under foreign kings, pagan kings, and they waited for a king who would be God-fearing and righteous and just, a king who would throw off the yoke of foreign oppression and restore the kingdom of Israel, a king who would be perfectly fair in his government, always protecting the poor and the orphaned and the widow and the stranger in the land, a king who would restore the kingdom of Israel to the glory that it enjoyed under King David so long ago. The prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah. He would be a great spiritual leader, purifying the people and restoring proper worship in the land. He would be a great warrior, defeating enemies on every side. And he would be a great ruler, governing impartially, according to the law of God. And somehow, the Holy Spirit revealed to John the Baptizer that the Messiah was on his way, that soon the Messiah would show up. John preached, repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John wanted the people to get ready. He wanted to make sure that the Messiah, the king, received a fitting welcome when he arrived. And so he preached. To the wealthy, he said, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. To the tax collector, he said, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. To the soldiers, he said, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. To all the people, 
including those who were so proud of their pedigrees as descendants of Abraham. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say of yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John preached and he preached boldly. He ruffled feathers. He had his detractors, but many people suspected that he might be the Messiah. The people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. That's what we read in Luke 3.15. All eyes were on John. He had their attention. He had followers by the thousands. So what does John do with all that fame? What does he do with all that influence? What does he do with all those Twitter followers? He points away from himself. And he says, it's not about me. Seriously, it's not. There are a lot of temptations in life. Food, drugs, sex, money. But perhaps the most intoxicating temptation of all is fame. To have people's attention, to have people listen to you and take you seriously, to have people admire you and affirm you, that's intoxicating. And it's more than that, because with fame comes power, the power to influence other people, the power to shape public opinion. A professional football player takes a knee during the playing of the national anthem and the whole country is talking about it. But if the guy selling cold beer in the stands did the same thing, no one would even notice. Fame and public adulation are intoxicating in their own right and the public influence that fame brings is even more tempting because who here this morning doesn't have some good ideas in his or her head that they think others should listen to. You all do. I've heard you on Facebook. John the Baptizer, however, does not get drunk with his own fame. Instead, he says, it's not about me. Seriously, it's not. John easily could have said, yes, you're right. I am the Christ. I'm God's anointed one. He was a godly man, that's for sure. If everyone in Israel had done what he said to do, they would have all been better for it. Israel would have been a more godly, more just, more equitable, more peaceable, more merciful country. Absolutely. But he knew that it wasn't about him. When they pressed him on the matter, John said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. At that point, John hadn't met Jesus. But when he finally sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when Jesus finally begins his own ministry, John says, He must increase, I must decrease. How many of us are willing to say, I must decrease so that Christ might increase? Raise your hands. 
How many of us are willing to lay aside our pride and dignity and agenda so that other people might see and glorify Christ? How many of us are willing to lay our glory aside, glory that people want to give us, glory that we've earned through our hard work and talent so that eyes might not even see us, so that eyes might turn to Jesus? Ten years ago, a young woman named Hannah Clark applied to be our youth director here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. She was freshly graduated from Moody Bible College and was entering Westminster Theological Seminary. She was so young, she even brought her parents along with her to meet her prospective boss. After the interviews were over, I very clearly remember standing in the old chancel around our old piano, which was over in that corner, Hannah flanked by her father, the Reverend Ian Clark, and her mother, Susan Clark. They seemed like nice people. Our former music director was there too, and we were all holding hands and praying. We didn't pray that Hannah would get the job. We didn't pray that HVPC would get the perfect youth director. Rather, we earnestly prayed that God would have his way with us and that he would bring glory to himself through our lives. The committee responsible for hiring the new youth director was led by Elder Dolores Turner. They did good work. They had a good crop of applicants. They offered the position to Hannah, however, They made that decision in spite of the fact that other applicants had better credentials and more experience. Some of them were even Presbyterians. The committee had such a clear sense of Hannah's calling to this ministry, of God's anointing on her, that they followed, that they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit rather than the calculus of resumes and references. And you know what? They were right. Hannah Clark is now called Hannah Kearson. And in her 10 years with us, she has served in many roles. She has been the youth director. She has served as the director of discipleship. She was the music director and choir master. She has worked as a Christian counselor. And now she serves as the director of the early service music ministry. In each of those roles, Hannah's ministry has been distinctly marked by her desire that the attention and influence never be directed at her or given to her, but that it be directed and given to Jesus. I've spent a lot of time around people in ministry, but I don't know anyone who understands more clearly that it's not about me. Seriously, it's not. Can I tell you an ugly secret about ministry? One of the ugliest secrets about ministry is that some of the most successful ministers, whether they're in a pulpit or leading congregational worship with musicians, some of the most successful ministers forget that it is not about them. Many of the most successful ministers, doing pulpit ministry, doing music ministry, many of the most successful ministers are narcissists. It really is all about them. And maybe Jesus might get a little of their reflected glory. 
Narcissists, according to the Mayo Clinic, quote, have an inflated sense of their own importance and a deep need for admiration, end quote. Now, interestingly, narcissists can be very successful in life. In fact, many of them are. Their sense of self-importance and their need for approval makes them very driven people and causes them to work extra hard to have people like them. They thrive on approval. They live for applause. The limelight is their drug and public adulation is their temptation. And that's a danger in ministry. Because here we stand in front of people and they listen to us as if what we say is important as if our musical performances are praiseworthy. We ministers are just like other people. We like it when people applaud our good work and praise us for our efforts. And yet, the calling of everyone who is a follower of Jesus is that we must decrease so that he might increase. And yet, the calling of everyone who is a follower of Jesus, is that we might serve rather than be served. I have worked side by side with Hannah now for 10 years, and she has served this church in more ways than any of you can know. She came to us with great gifts, and she has intentionally stretched herself and grown year by year to be ever more valuable in her ministry. But what I value most in her is that she is always saying, not with words, but with attitudes and actions, she is always saying, it's not about me. Seriously, it's not. And she keeps pointing us to Jesus. We are celebrating this morning at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church We're gathered together to worship God and to dedicate the new chancel and the new pew Bibles that God has provided for us. These physical changes are signs of the vitality and growth that God has given us. They are signs that we continue to press on into the future that God has for us. We're not standing still. We're moving forward. The pew Bibles we dedicate this morning were given by the Hudnut family to the glory of God and in the memory of Virginia Hudnut's parents, Mary and Burr Kime, who were longtime members of this church, and in memory of David and Virginia Hudnut's son, Christopher Burr Hudnut, who was baptized in this church. The renovation of our chancel, which we will dedicate this morning, was made possible by a large gift from Grace Stahl Beale, who was never a member of this church, but who worshipped here for a number of years while she lived in Maple Village and was treated as one of our own while she was here. She passed away in 2012. Turning the gift from Grace Beale into the beautiful chancel you see in front of you was the work of many people. Elder Rich Good supervised the entire project. Elder Fred Ungerman provided the engineering and architectural drawings. Elder Jay Seragin spent hundreds of hours on endless details of the job, everything from wiring and ductwork and carpentry and ironwork. Jason Fry was our sound engineer, designing and installing the entire sound system. Not only was he the mastermind of the sound design, he was also the guy who soldered 
by hand, literally hundreds of tiny connections that had to be made to bring everything to life. Hannah Kearson and Susan Clark, as the people who direct our music program, spent many hours in planning and meetings and trainings to make sure that the new chancel and the new sound system serve our congregation well so that our people can hear and see clearly what's happening in the chancel, so that the gifts of each musician can best be used to lead us in worshiping God. None of these wonderful things could have happened if any of these people wasn't willing to say, it's not about me. Really, it's not. Every person I've mentioned, and there are some who remain unnamed, gave of themselves not to bring glory to themselves, but to point to Jesus. When John was out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing, he attracted a huge following. The crowds loved him. His voice was being heard. He was making a difference in the lives of people. And then the religious authorities came from Jerusalem and they asked him, Who are you? Which is a great question. The options they had in mind were that he was the Christ, or that he was Elijah, or that he was the prophet. And he said, no, I'm none of those. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. It's a supporting role. It's a role that points away from itself and brings attention to others. All of us live in the wilderness. And we, like John, are waiting for the Messiah. He's already been here, but he's coming back. And so we wait, and as we wait, we should ask ourselves, Who am I? When your story's over, and they write your obituary, what will people say about you? Will they say that you were the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of the universe? Will they say that you were someone who was constantly pointing to the Messiah? God's plan embraces every person, and every person will play one role or another in the cosmic drama that is unfolding in the world that God has made. Sure, God knew John the Baptizer and had a role for him to play, but he also knows you. And he has a part written especially for you. So, who are you? What role have you been cast in? Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you recognize yourself as a sinner without hope except by faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross? If you are a follower of Jesus, what part are you? in the universal body of Christ. Each follower has a special part to play and is able to play that part because of the unique gifts given by the Holy Spirit. What's your part? The Messiah is the head. Are you an ear? Are you a foot? No part is more important than any other. The body needs all of them. You're a follower of Jesus. You're part of the universal body of Christ. Is it possible God is calling you to be a part of this congregation? To be an ear or a foot here 
at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church? Our new members class in October will give loads of information about what God is doing here at HVPC. And if you are a member of this congregation, is God calling you into special service within this church as an elder or a deacon? Karen near Jesse is the chairman of the nominating committee this year, and she and her folks will soon begin their work in preparation for our annual congregational meeting in November. The committee meets to pray and to listen to the Holy Spirit to discern who in this local body is called to ordained office. The call comes from God, but that call is confirmed by saints in the local church. The religious authorities asked John the baptizer, Who are you? And he knew who he was. I challenge you this morning to answer that same question for yourself. Who are you? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would add your blessing to the proclamation of your word and that you would seal to our hearts those things which are true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.